Welcome to episode 615 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 615 of I Am Talk with Coach John Euston and Beaver James Oz. How are you going, mate? I'm pretty good. It's a nice autumnal day, sun shining, no snow on the mountains yet. No, it's going to be a nice day. It's going to be a nice day. John, there's, you, there's, there's, I've got a lot of emails this week from people expecting a rant, mm-hmm. um, and I'm pretty sure you're going to probably, it might happen today. Yep. There's definitely a topic we're going to talk about, and there's one topic we probably won't talk about this week. The mighty voted for Warriors. Yeah, give that one a pass. <laughs> they, got, they got killed last week. <laughs> they got destroyed big time by Melbourne. So all our Melbourne listeners, well done to the bloody storm. I talk is proudly brought to you by... Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. Tanya Pora. Tell you what, if you want to go away somewhere pretty flash, pretty awesome for the whole family, but also for the athletes, check out Tanya Pora. And our patrons. Let's name a few Jombo. Glenn Slammin' Newbold, probably be liking the NBA playoffs right about now. Is he like basketball? He's basketball, yep. Oh, nice. Yeah, who are you picking for the NBA, John? I've got no idea. Just pick a team. Uh, the, the Cavs, because they've got LeBron James. There you go. Uh, they won their game seven, excitingly. Great. Yeah, they Great. got 45 points. Uh, we've got Robert Spine Tangler Green. And Damien, the $100 bill, Bennett. I need a dollar, a dollar, a dollar's just what I need. Okay, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got a age group of the week. Which we're we're going random. We're going random Old school. again. We need some more, but we're going random this week. Uh, we've got an interview with who, Jumbo? Mitch Robbins. So he is racing Ironman Australia this weekend and is... I wouldn't say up-and-coming pro. He's uh, around, I think he's just turning 30, but he's had some great half-iron distance results, and I'm quite enjoying just profiling some more of these guys that perhaps you guys haven't heard of, rather than all the top pros. He's got a a few interesting stories in there. Yeah, good times. Uh, We've got uh, Winger of the Week questions and answers at the end, and it's going to be pretty much the show. Okay, John, the big race that we had on over the weekend was Ironman Texas Championship Race. North North American Championship. Championship Race, a big race, and uh, Jombo, world record times, some could say. Some could say that. Some could say that indeed. But I'm going to start this on a positive note because there were some incredible performances. So... um, now, a lot of you guys, when you see these results, you're going to think it's short. And it was short, but yep. not, not as much as you might think. So the bike course was uh, around about three kilometres short. Uh, and the run, which I thought would be quite short, looking at the times, was not that short. Uh, I had one guy, I'm not sure where he pressed his watch, but he had it reading at around about four to 500 metres short. Um, other reports that I've seen are more sort of two to 300 metres short. So... Not okay. that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind a, of passable, it's, isn't it's it? It's a little bit short, but not. Cra- oh, that was like a kilometre or two. Because they ran, short. so like Matt Hansen ran a 234. Insane. So, top top three on the guy's side of things. Matt Hansen took the race out, 52 minute swim, 407 on the bike, and a 234 39 for a 739.25. Only won by 30 seconds over Ivan Tutukin. Uh, who also ran fast. He ran a 2.35. Wow. Third place, Will Clark. He came home in the 2.40, so finished in 7 hours 45. And all the way down to 11th place, still managed to go sub 8 hours, which is insane. 
it's pretty crazy when you think, you know, like like Will Clark ran a two forty, a four oh nine bike, and he got third. Yeah, you know, and a forty nine swim. You know, you often you're not going to see that often, are you? And Andrew Starkowitz three fifty four fifty nine. Wow. <laughs> so again, wow. He, you know, whatever happened with the rest of the races, it clearly looks to me, and I didn't see any of the footage, but I just I had a bit of a look on the Ironman um, live coverage this morning. It looked like that pack, you know, came off the bike together, the main pack that, that took out the yeah, the they're positions. all around that fourteen mark, aren't they? But Andrew Starkowitz rode three fifty four, and that would have been solo. He did have some company for quite a while um, with the guy who finished in tenth, uh, Johan Ackerman, but it didn't look to me like he was actually going through and taking any turns on the front so he's just sitting behind him so let's say Andrew Starkwitz you know it's maybe a minute that you know probably a, how, how far did I say it's three k's so yep. it's, you know it's maybe five minutes or something like that short it's still a sub probably a sub four hour ride wow. which is ridiculous now getting off the bike He's probably thinking I've got a pretty good chance here because he's he's about fifteen minutes ahead. Yeah, so about fifteen minutes ahead. So he's thinking if I can have a good run, I've got a good chance. Reasonable chance, you know. He ran. He ended up running a three hours and fifty-seven. Yeah. So for him, semi-respectable. But a lot of those guys behind, even if they hadn't gone quite as quick as they did, you know, you'd still, still expect them to go two, two forty, two forty, yeah. two forty-five. So it wasn't he probably needed twenty minutes? But at halfway, he did have ten minutes uh, and ended up only getting fifteen. So and if he had an extra three k on the bike. Yeah. It's not going to be five minutes, but you know, the, the last part of the bike ride that mm. could be a few minutes, couldn't it? Mm. So amazing performances uh, there by Matt Hansen. Uh, now I'm picking, and, it, and it's, it's not going to be validated because Ironman is saying because the course was short, none of these results are going to be uh, are going to be valid. That as in record pace, yeah. That I'm wondering if that's the fastest ever Ironman time uh, Ironman run split. The time's not going to apply because I of the remember bike. Peter Reid doing about a two thirty-five. So mm. I remember in Australia wasn't there's the, and no, he did Aust- Austria, well, and Austria. he definitely said it was significantly short. There. Yeah, okay. So I'm wondering. Somebody can tell us because he told us on the, on Legends, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, and and he said it several times. That course was short. So this course, you know, even if you round it up a bit, you know, give him say another minute on there, two thirty-five. Somebody tell me if anybody's been quicker than that on a. Legit-ish, <laughs> legit, sounds stupid, legit-ish course, but bloody impressive. On the girls' side of things, uh, you had uh, Mal Halscheidt take it out in 8.31, again, one of the fastest times ever by an iron distance. I wonder where it does rank overall. Uh, she had a pretty comfortable victory thanks to a fantastic run. She ran 2.57. Uh, she had a 12-minute th- victory over Jodie Robertson. Leslie Smith was in third place, only another sort of 30 or 40 seconds back. Michelle Vesterby and Sarah Svensson round out the top five. Meredith Kessler back in the game. Uh, she finished in sixth place. So... You know, not the Meredith Kessler of old, but and she sort of looked like she suffered a bit on the run. But hey, she's only had a baby fairly recently, so yeah. I think we'll give her a break. Um, John, I've got to give a few other bits of positive stuff here before we start <laughs> slamming into some negativity. Uh, Lauren Brandon swam forty-eight nineteen, and she comfortably beat all the pro men. Wow. So that's impressive. I think sometimes we don't give the swimmers enough credit. You know, we're always banging on about amazing bike times and run times, but she outswam. All the men. And it's not like the men were all donkeys in there. This is a championship race. There's some good swimmers. There's some former ITU guys in there. You know, you think about Will Clark, Brent McMahon, Rudy Wilde, Free Van Laird, guys like that. Uh, former ITU standard, not off the back ITU, but, you know, mid-pack ITU guys. So that is bloody impressive. She did fade. She was leading for a long time on the bike too, and she, she faded with a 3-hour 48 marathon to only finish in 13th place. But bloody impressive swim. 
So just some other little quick notes. So we're saying short by about three, four K and the bike, maybe the runs, maybe couple hundred meters to 500 meters there were 40 bike crashes actually someone on twitter uh, rob gray sent me a link to twitter uh and they actually caught one of the pecs having a bit of a crash which mm. is a bit of carnage and we'll talk about the pecs in a second how do you crash in an ironman which is in straight lines on a motorway well when you're riding a big pack <laughs> maybe you know <laughs> well, well maybe the problem is when we talk about pack riding is a lot of ironmen aren't that competent in a pack yeah you know, and so they maybe don't have the skill set to be successful in that kind of environment. Uh, anything else you want to give a positive on? Oh, well, just, so just back back to that run split. So I did a quick bit of research to see if I could find any quicker run splits. Joe Skipper went 2.38 and wrote, uh, I think it was the year before last. When Ray Lurt set the record there, he went 2.40. you got to say Patrick Lang is 2.39 in Kona in those conditions is yeah. out of this world. And uh, Marino, when he set his record in Austria, went 2.39. So... Yeah, I have a feeling that we may have to go all the way back to that Peter Reid result and uh, see what sort of a run split he did. Yeah, blows me away. The other one, uh, Matt Russell, uh, finished in 14th place. So if we recall, he had a you know, major, major crash last year in Kona, and he rode a 4.05. He faded a bit on the run, wow. but bloody hell, it looks like he's back in shape. He's the one who's got the Frankenstein. Mm. Like the, the, it looks like he's been well, slit in his throat. It's pretty severe. So when you're thinking, why was the run so fast? I think it's a combination of the the bike being extremely fast and extremely smooth surfaces. Because it's basically on highways, isn't it? Yeah, so you, you're going fast, but you're not having that vibration from the road. Especially, you know, compare this to a New Zealand or Australia or something like that. That takes a lot out of you. So I think that's part of why they probably ran pretty quick. And and, and then secondly, is obviously the you know there was there was a pace line there by the look of it. The pictures that I saw of the guys, they they weren't drafting like the age groupers, where it was bloody three or four abreast. It was, we'll get on to that in a moment. But when you're riding in a pace line like that, maybe they ended up riding a little bit easier. But even then, Starkowitz. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, but I'm talking about why they perhaps ran, ran fast. Okay, yeah, yeah. But of the footage that I saw, um, and of the post that came through, it seemed like Matt Hansen was at the front of that group pulling. A fair, really? fair amount, yeah. You know, um, so, so a lot of the people in the pack who would have ran fast didn't actually put much effort at the front. Potentially, okay. Based Hard on your say. one second I, I view, I didn't see if there was any live coverage. I was out of town for the weekend, mm-hmm. but it didn't look like they had any live coverage, like they did in South Africa. So. And, and is the run uh, flat? Yeah, the run's flat, and they had great conditions. You know, they've had had some hot conditions in Texas in the past, but it sounds like just perfect run day. Perfect run day, and. Good on them. I mean, shit, you still got to do that run that fast. That's awesome. That like ten under eight hours or eleven under eight hours. That's the first time we've ever seen that. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, like we've had some pretty impressive results. Um, what's what's and, and again, you Frodo take, did seven thirty five, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so but again, again, you tack on say six minutes onto that. Um, say for the for the bike and the the run being potentially a bit short. Uh, then you still got nine guys going sub eight. Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah. So and, and cool racing in a championship race. So like, let's look at it. We've got basically the top 10 guys are basically all within just over 12 minutes of each other. Mm. You know, which that's what we want from championship races, isn't it? We want yeah. exciting racing that, you know, like Matt Hansen would have only passed Ivan with maybe a few cases to no, go. They ran together pretty much the whole way. Okay. So, you know, like it was, you know, like it was good racing. And that's what we want to see at these championship races. And on the girls' side of things, Pretty fast day as well, you know, an 8.30. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we know that 8.19's happened for a couple of girls, but 8.30 is smoking. Yeah. 
very impressive. You know, so pretty cool stuff. You, I think you said there's a sub nine age group. No, no. So I've, I've just in terms of the age group, his first age grouper was Ryan Giuliano in eight seventeen, and we wow. had uh, Sam Guide and Sam and Dan Stublitsky, who you will have uh, heard of before. They had a pretty close battle, but when it's a rolling start, I don't know if they finished together or not. But they both went eight twenty one. So just insanely fast times, and I think. For, for a lot of the um, reason why there'll be a lot of fast age group times, sort of, you know, this, the next rung down, say guys who are finishing, I don't know, maybe 8.30 to 9 hours, I'd imagine there would have been some packs, so there would have been some drafting. But these guys at the front are probably... Uh, it's a real deal, aren't they? You know, they're, they're solo yeah. TTing it, so um, bloody impressive uh, Do results. you have the top females age group? Uh, I will for you in a second. Okay, pull that up. Yes. The, the next line in our notes here is... Then to the ranch. <laughs> so, so prepare for this, but we just wanted to give the females a bit yeah, of love yeah, here. Yeah, Hillary Fenton went nine hours and 49 seconds. Oh! Go, didn't go to sub nine. So that That's was a really good question. How many age group females have gone sub nine? And that was a question I had. I would be surprised if there's been any, but I want to know if there has been. Okay. I'd be surprised. John Livingston, isn't it? Joe, try 2247, is it John Livingston? Is it? Yeah, but that's, that's tracking. No, no, but he does the pros. John, yes. see if you can find out if we've had an age grouper, because... That would be forty three seconds. You'd be ripping your undies, wouldn't you? Mm, absolutely. You know, that'd be that'd be that'd be shredded. Oh, but you, yeah, that'd be shredded. There'd be nothing left. <laughs> okay, and then to the rent. Everybody just blame here, Bevan. Everyone. No one's getting off. It was pretty shocking, wasn't it? Well, the first thing is on the race distances. I kind of want to defend WTC or Ironman or Wanda, whatever we call. Actually, I saw on the news last night. Yeah, I know they're buying bloody. What are they buying? Wanda have built this uh, ginormous movie. The um, world's biggest movie set, basically, yeah. or, or places to run movies. And it sounded like Mr. Wanda has got himself out of the debt problems now. But did they, not, they haven't sold WTC or, no. or Ironman, have they? No. no. Anyway, well, we're up to date with Wanda uh, too. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the distances. So the run, I'm going to give say. Just close enough. You shouldn't really get the run. Especially nowadays. Run, I know? get it back in the old days when you used to run around for the bloody thing, but... Yeah. And GPS is, you know, slightly out. So, you know, if, if, if you are within a couple of hundred metres, I'm going to give them the benefit of a doubt. And also, I'd imagine it's called the Woodlands, that area. They're probably running through some trees. So, yep. going to give them the benefit of the doubt on the run. Um, bike? Bike, you know, it sounds like they had the carpet pulled from under them a little bit. Like, it sounded like a... You know, that maybe the police or the council and stuff got involved and said, no, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's like, well, you should really have that sorted by race day. In their defence, there's some plonkers out there in in council, police, etc. They'll just go, no, you can't do it. But we've done done everything that you're supposed to do and we've got all the certification. No, you can't do it. You're not doing it. You're stopping there. That's it. So I kind of... You have a little bit of sympathy. A bit of sympathy for them. You don't get that much from John Newsom, guys, so... But it's like about the third time it's happened. It's like, surely you can get it right eventually at yeah, this have, one race. This race does seem to have many hiccups, doesn't it? So Pretty much every year there's something that's yeah. kind of a little bit off. God, if they do it again, it's going to be some serious kicks to the nuts, you know. <laughs> you lose your undies <laughs> and you have kicked to the nuts. Now, the drafting, yes, WTC needs to take some responsibility here, but I think the whole community does. If, you haven't, if you don't, you're not on social media, then you won't have seen the stuff. It was... Beyond a joke, we've seen some bad drafting before. A lot of races, really bad stuff. But this it was a cycle race. It was it was a cycle race. It was big pack riding. Mm. Well, at least the stuff we saw on the internet. So we're talking, you know, three to four abreasts in places. You seen crashes. Forty, fifty. You seen people freewheeling, and yeah, it was a bit of a joke, uh, to be honest. Now, 
I think part of this is there doesn't seem to be as much of a stigma about drafting these days. You know, I still remember, I've, I've, I've recently discussed this, when I, the one time that I have blatantly drafted, I still remember that day so vividly going, this is really shit. When you're in your 20s and stuff, you kind of, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm trying to justify it, but I still think about going, that was really shit. But I don't think... Wait, you're disappointing yourself? Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and disappointed of the situation. Yep. But I don't think these days is that much stigma. If you get busted, you feel a bit crap. But if you get away with it, I think people go... Yeah, well, when people get busted, high. they always just, we've all got an excuse. Yeah. So you get busted. Oh, yeah, but what happened yeah, was this guy yeah. was passing me. and Everyone you know, was doing it. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. blah. So it's, we can all justify our own crimes. Um, so you're saying that you feel in this moment, we've just, we've almost come to accept it. I think that's part of it. I don't think there's that much stigma attached. If you get busted after the race and you go, you got a drafting penalty, there's not. People aren't looking at you in shock and horror going, you drafting cheat, you bastard. It's like, oh, you got a drafting penalty. It's not like, we. Well, yeah, so I think that that's part of it. So, so you feel there needs to be more of a stigma? Yeah, I do. And so, Teru's saying I'm a drafter, <laughs> and, and and I think it's education because you can, from what I could see. Well, but I mean, let's 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 take it back a step. You've got here, so you've got um, how many athletes on the course? So they had nearly three thousand athletes on the course. Three thousand entrants, and this is what blows me away: the amount of DNFs and the amount of did not start. So, on the results, it says there's two hundred not two thousand nine hundred fifty nine uh, entrants in the race. You got two thousand three hundred thirty-three finishes. Way too many athletes. Yeah, you've got three hundred sixty did not start. So that's good money when you when you, <laughs> you do the maths on that. Uh, and you've got about two hundred and fifty DNFs. So you're basically saying on the bike course, uh, you've got two and a half thousand people. It's too many. It's but, <laughs> yeah, because the problem is you're kind of saying well, like you and Kona, you got a draft penalty. Yes. And what was what happened there? I can't actually remember. I'll go through that in a minute because I do want to explain that. Okay. Uh, but two and a half thousand people. I think it was a three lap course. Uh, you just you just can't do it. Simple as that. No, no, you really can't. And so is it a three lap course? Uh, I better just double check that. Oh, so, so you got two and a half on a three lap course? Two or three. Pause the show, Bevan. I'm, I'm getting my facts okay, right. Okay, pause, I'm pausing the show. <laughs> okay, two laps, but even two laps. Mm. We've done a research. We're We've back done with two research. laps. Yeah, two laps, but even two laps. Yeah, I mean, too, you, it's pretty hard to get a 180k bike one lap course these days. So, but, but, but going back to, if you're going to have 2,500 athletes on the course, mm. there's, you know, remember Russell Cox did the kind of, you know, how does the day work out? Mm. And uh, did they, so they had a rolling start? It was a rolling start. So they're, they're attempting to spread things out there, not only for the swim, but also for the bike. But basically, if you're between that kind of 10 to 13 hour mark, it's pretty hard not to well, draft. In this race, I'd say more than nine to. 11 hour mark I think would be there it's 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 I wouldn't say it's impossible but it's extremely difficult so because the thing is like you know, I know you want to talk about your Kona experience in a second but your your Kona experience sucks so much you don't want to go back to Kona mm. yeah and and these, these people who turn up championship races are kind of your rock stars of your sport they should be you know what I mean like and so the fact that their experiences which are the longest part of the day on the bike mm. is Oh, this sucks! I'm drafting. Yeah, like that's not, that's not the experience we want our athletes to have in the sport. No, so something has got to change because, look, we've seen plenty of drafting before, and if I explain sort of like the current, a lot of people, I don't know where to go with this. There's so many bloody oh, angles to job go. We could talk for days. So I think part of it is a lot of people don't know what to do when they're in that situation. And if you're riding along and somebody passes you and they're going say half a kilometre an hour quicker than you it's natural you are going to increase your pace when they've passed and they've gone in front of you and you wait for them to get into that, you know, 10 metres in front of you, it's pretty natural you're going to, to speed up. And so that continu continually happens. So that's why the bunches 
he spanning the person on the front, keeps going half an hour, half a, half a k an hour roughly. Yeah, and you Quicker. could see in the bunches, guys at the back were literally sitting up. And, and then so you're just picking up person after person after person, and then it sort of starts to Constantina when people just start start rolling into the to the line, and that's what happens in Kona, and it's pretty frustrating. But you know, my experiences in Kona is that's happening. You're riding two abreast, and there is that Constantina effect where you are rolling into the draft zone. You're going shit. I've got to I've got to get out of here. I've got to get I've got to just stop pedaling. I've got to sit up. Got to make sure I stay out of it, stay out of it. So in Kona, it is from my experience, it is more of a two abreast, and it's not like you're riding on the person's wheel in front of you, yeah. but you might be hovering from say five to ten meters behind, just trying to stay out of the bloody zone. Mm. And there is some freewheeling going on. What got me gets me in this race, and another examples of drafting where I've seen it is. The blocking, like you've got people riding three abreast. It's like you just, you just can't do that. You've either got to be passing and, and continually passing. But I saw guys that were sitting three abreast out freewheeling. And I'm like, you, just, you can't do it. But they probably do not know what to do in that situation. So you've got to either keep riding through or get into the line somehow and be riding, if you're in riding on the right side of the road, on the right, or you're passing. You can't sit out there. And I think a lot of people don't understand that people at the front of the pack probably understand that but a lot of new people who haven't been in the sport for very long probably don't understand that you have to get the hell to the right or you're passing or you're just going to get busted well that's probably the thing about being on freeway as well because they were quite wide roads mm. and um and they had one side of the road and had the barrier down the middle so it was very much they had a lot more space to kind of play the game that way i don't know if it's conscious effort because the thing i'm thinking right now john is in that race there your ride experience is not your athletic experience. It's dealing with drafting. It is. That's pretty much your whole ride experience. Mm. Well, d depending on where you are within the field. So I've also seen, I haven't seen this officially officially yet, but it sounded like there was no drafting officials on the bike course because... <laughs> That's a shocker. Yeah, because they, the, the original plan was you had this motorway you're going up and on one side you had a, a, a lane or a lane and a bit and then on the other side you had several lanes and then there was going to be a lane spare for the technical support and yep. the and the um, technical officials. But it sounded like that got pulled from the race. Now, that's not fact, and I, and I hate doing fake news because hopefully this isn't fake news. Yeah, but it's fake news. I saw it posted a number of times that they that, 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 that had to, that the police had basically pulled, it was too the, dangerous. pulled, the, pulled the technical officials because it was going to be too dangerous. So again, that's poor planning. So I think the planning side of things is if you've got a flat course, it's going to be pretty bloody hard to manage the drafting. Uh, if you're going to have that many people on the course, you've got to change your, your, your start system because just, just doing a straight rolling start purely did not work. And then I think you've got to have, start improving the athlete education. And it's easy to point the finger at WTC, but I think this needs to be, you know, in this case, it needs to be a USAT problem, it needs to be an ITU problem, it needs to be a WTC problem. And one thing that I thought of potentially is, you know, when you're going through the entry process, you get forced to watch a video on drafting and how to actually deal with it in different scenarios, what the rules are, uh, and how you how you deal with it and, and give different scenarios. If a pack forms, this is what you need yeah. to be doing to stay out of the zone. Because as I said, a lot of people are going to get in that space where they are in a in a pace line and it starts expanding, 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 and they don't know what to do. Yeah, but then if we, like, I get what you're saying, and I think that's a great idea. I think the part of signing up and nowadays with the internet, it's very easy to do. You've got to watch this video before you go to the next step. Mm. You know, so that's easy enough to do. And I do think education is a part of this. But to me, I actually you've got to point the finger at the race directors. You, you, you do because I've got too many people on a course mm -hmm. you know like I guarantee a lot of those people who are in those packs you know and 
I don't have the skills, that's why we saw that crash that mm-hmm. Rob Gray sent through. But secondly, it, it's just setting up a, a race where that's that's the only way you're going to deal with it. Like a lot of people in those packs, what, what else could they do? Mm. But I do wonder if, if so, say, so that's, for example, they had 2,500 people on the course here. If you had, say, 1,500 people on the course, you might say, let's cap it at 1,500. Would the same problem have happened? And I, unfortunately, I think, yes. Maybe not to the same extent. But that's, then you can say it's probably as cheating. It, it, yeah, and but then you need to... It, I think it's more the starting system. You've got to Yeah, totally, and, and that's where the race director... So look, what does the race director have to do? Hmm. Particularly if they want to have races like this, which, let's be honest, they're going to make it a lot more profit if they can get, you know, sign up 3,000 people. Hmm. So... They've got to say our responsibility around a race. You know, I think I am well, Iron Man as a as an organisation need to have a set of rules that are set for courses based on size numbers. Mm. Um, you know, like maybe if you're going to have three thousand people, you're going to only have one lap course. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have way starts, mm-hmm. and they're going to be pretty decent way starts. I'm going to say, and this screw the slower people. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. in yep. this case, cut the cut the cut off time to whatever it needs to be, whether it be. 40, but the slower people aren't the problem. Well, but that's that reduces how much you can spread the the swim start. Okay. Because if you say right, you know, and wrote, I don't know how long, how long was it? Probably a couple of hours. Yeah, it's a long time for swim starts. Yeah. yeah. So you go, okay, we're starting at six thirty with the pros. Yeah, and right, it's about three thousand people, don't know, of course. Yeah, and 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 they still have drafting problems, but it's not the same extent. No. Different. It's a hellier, hellier harder course, but they police it over there as well. So I think. Yeah, saying, right, stuff it. We're not having a 17-hour cutoff, especially at the championship race. You've got to have dispensation for the older people. Get that. You go, okay, we've got, so we've got a 15-hour um, cutoff time. And so then we can spread the start over, say, two and a half hours and and tr- just have a bit of a think. How is the way we can get the maximum, maximum spread here, keep it safe in the swim, keep it safe on the bike, but also have some head-to-head racing? So I... I it might be right. We're starting the 40, 40 to 45 men, the championship wave, and you have a, just an all-comers wave or something like that, but you just spread it out. Now, you're still going to get some drafting, but it's a lot easier to manage just when you reduce the numbers. So, so we're saying, um, so for big courses, courses with big fields, different start times, mm. harder start, harder time period, 15 yep. hours. I think that really on a course like this, you've got to have a one-lap course. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that would make a big difference. Um, I know it's hard logistically, but... Uh, but it does make a difference. When you've got two laps and you've got the fast guys coming up the back, it does cause a problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I don't think it's a massive problem, but it certainly would. It would help on a course like this, but yeah. you know. Um, harsher penalties you've got written down here, and, and this is one thing Rote has done amazingly. Like, yeah. You know, in Rote, you get a penalty, you are screwed. <laughs> yeah. Particularly if you're someone who's competitive. Yeah. So in Rote, what's the penalty, John? Uh, it's... I don't know what the time is, but I think it's five minutes. Yep. But then you've got to run a kilometre, which is the ultimate penalty, isn't yeah. it? You know, and, I, and you have to do it at the beginning of the run or half. Oh no, it's midway through the run. It's not early on, and, and it was uphill. So yeah. <laughs> it was like because yeah. Murray had to do it because he got a penalty and he was yeah. not happy. And uh, I was trying to chase him because he dropped his gel, so I was trying to get his <laughs> gels to him. And I'm barely running my jandals. It was not a good time. And uh, yeah, and it that was, was a serious deterrent, like big time. Like, oh. I ended up riding the whole course by myself. But had I been caught. By a pace line or a group. Well, well, that I ends up being. Let's be honest. Time. For a lot of people, that's, that can be like a fifteen-minute penalty, mm. or you know, a twelve-minute penalty. So it's a massive deterrent. Now, obviously, in this situation, if it is true that the police said you can't have the um, technical uh, officials on, on the course, well, then it's unfortunate. But what created the situation where that happened? Mm. You know, because that shouldn't happen. Mm. And if you're going to gain, if we're going to have a three thousand sales to a race. 
there needs to be a higher level of technical officials. And if you're, if, if you're pulling off 3,000 people, you can afford to pay a few more technical officials. My other idea here, and I don't know if this would work or not, but you basically put a GoPro on all the technical officials out there. You put 10, I don't know, 10, 15 technical officials out there. Oh, yeah, I like this idea. GoPros, and you're entitled to do retrospective busting as well because a photo does not tell the story. You know, if you get a but photo... But would it be right like race walking? We're pretty much everyone's cheating, <laughs> you know, like... Because, like, race walking, you watch race walking, and, you know, they're, both to have, they're meant to have one contact of the footer mm. at all times, and you'll watch, and, and it's it's a corrupt sport. Not corrupt, it's, it's, it's a funny sport, but... Um, a lot of people will get penalties. They would. But again, that's another... You've got to have all these deterrents. Well, it's actually interesting. If we look at Rugby League this year. So Rugby League this year, it's been quite controversial. I know we talk a lot of league in this show lately. Bugger rugby. But um, one thing that's been very controversial in rugby this year is the referees are being a lot more strict on the rules. And up until this point in time... So in Rugby League, it's a game where you basically have a tackle, you stand up and you play the ball, and then the game continues on. And the defending team has to go back 10 metres. Now, traditionally, most defending teams would kind of sneak up or one guy would go out of the line a little bit, and they, they got away with it. Well, this year, there's been... At the beginning of the year, the NRL, which is the organisation that coordinates Rugby League, they've said to the rest, we want you to be really harsh on the rules. And the first few weeks of the the season everyone's complaining too many penalties too many penalties and it was like well the teams have to change mm. you know and what's been happening in the last few weeks is the teams have changed and you know so they have created a higher standard of how we're going to manage these rules and the flow on effect is that the behavior has changed and so what you're saying here is that if we were to do the the gopro kind of all race officials have a gopro post-race we're going to assess and give mm. post-race penalties uh, which means you'll get time added to your finish time. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, I, I don't know the logistics of it, but... Which would be very controversial if they did that. It would be. But I think you've got to start slamming down more penalties and just hit this on multiple fronts. I've had enough of Ironman Texas, Bevan. <laughs> well, I think ultimately we're saying WTC need to do a better job of thinking about how they're going to deal with races this size. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bit of personal responsibility. I actually don't feel... I think that's a bit too harsh at this moment. I think it was a bit of an unfair I situation. I, I think, yeah, no, I, I think it's. I, like I if you're in a pack of forty, I understand pace lines. What do you do? Do you sit back and sit up for five minutes? But it, yeah, if everybody, I, I know what you're saying, but I think when you, if, if you're riding for a breast, you're got to be going. This is ridiculous. I'm getting over to the right, uh, and oh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like if it was a fifteen hundred meter, um, fifteen hundred people on the course race, mm. then you're a cheating schmuck, but. And this one here, what do you do? Mm. You know, what do you sit up and ruin your race? Mm. Or do you go to attack and try to attack the pack and then end up just staying on your wheel and then you waste your race anyway? So, um, any other things in here, John? No, I've had enough of Ironman Texas. George, John, <laughs> the last thing you've got here is, would you want to be a draft marshal? Yeah. So if, if you want to try to help solve the problem, put your hand up to be a technical official and actually try to, you know, I, I, bloody hell, I don't know any technical officials who want to be draft marshals. So Tim Hemming on Twitter just put, um, he gave the Ironman a bit of a hard time saying it was the, the course was shortened for safety reasons, but maybe you need to tell your social media people because they're going on about how the course records and all this. And it's like, well, it's not probably the case. Another race we had over the weekend, Challenge Taiwan and the Kiwis. Yep. Took it out. Did indeed. Don McNeese took it out. He swam 48 minutes, rode 4.21 and ran a 3.01 for an 8.16.56. Around uh, about a five-minute victory over Frederick Cronenberg with Luke Bell there in third place. Looked like Dylan and uh, Luke Bell rode together, came off the bike and, and swam together. Away from them. Yeah, and so good on him. 
very small fields. And then on the girls' side, I think it's Julia Grant took it out. Great one. She's also from Christchurch. Uh, that'd be her first one, wouldn't it? In a long distance? I, I think you're probably right. Yeah. yeah. So she's swam 101, biked 505, ran 324. She's been around forever, hasn't she? She has. For a 9.38. Solid time. Well done, Julia. It's really awesome. Solid. Uh, Alyssa Godiski was second, uh, around 11 minutes back. And Xiao Yu Li from Taiwan was in third. When was the last time two Kiwis won an Ironman in the same race? Um, Cameron Brown and probably Joe Lorne or yeah. Gina Ferguson or when she was Gina Crawford, maybe Gina Ferguson. It's been sure. five, six years, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Okay, um, what you're saying here is a shame that Frodo got all the coverage. He won the half by 30 minutes, but it was an age group race only. Yeah, I don't know what his deal is for going over there. It's just disappointing when you see the, some of the media, you know, Dylan wins the main race and then they've got pictures of Frodo who won the half. Yeah, but he's the rock star. He's the rock star. But I just, it's the second year in a row he's been over there, which is... He must get paid an absolute fortune to go there because there's no prize money. There's no competition. It's basically just going out there and doing a solo TT training, training day. So he must get paid a fortune. Good on him. I don't blame him for doing that, but it's just seems a bit odd. I'd love to know. Like, I remember Mecca was talking about appearance fees. I'd love to know what they would pay for order to turn up to that because, it, it, you know, his appearance fees would not be cheap. Well, especially when there's no prize money on the line. Yeah, and so. it's purely just for the PR around the race. Mm. Yeah, good on them. Uh, John's ITU update is possibly a boil over. It's quite possibly the biggest boil over in the history of ITU racing, especially in the modern era. So wait a second. So was this a World Cup or this a was a World Triathlon Series race? This so is the, 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 the big deal. The big, this deal. Is, the this big is kahootas. The, the top level racing. So if you haven't watched the coverage now and you don't know results, probably give it a give it a good five minutes or so, and maybe come back because uh, it's worth watching if you don't. Did know you watch the results. it? I watched the whole men's race. Did you watch uh, it without knowing the results? Uh, well, I, have, I got a bloody spoiler from somebody I coach in Norway. Oh. And I didn't open the email, but he sent a, a message saying, where's the Kiwis? So I'm thinking, Norway's obviously done something here. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, oh, Christian Blumenfeld would have won, and maybe they've got somebody else up there as well. But uh, so the race was in Bermuda. It was Olympic distance race. First time they've had the race over there. They have had good level races in Hamilton before in Bermuda, but this was uh, sort of first time in the modern era. 10 lap bike course, went up this quite uh, funky hill all the time. Uh, guys went off first, girls were in uh, a little bit later on, and it certainly was the Flora Duffy show um, for the whole thing. Over I mean, there's massive big posters of her on billboards and oh, really? up and down buildings. She is like uh, the princess of that uh, country. They also had a different commentator. They had Lisa Norden in there because I don't know where Barry Shepley was. He wasn't there, but they had Lisa Norden and the, the regular guy Trevor, who's... Uh, I think he's British. I assume he's British, uh, and so that gave a slightly different angle. You know, she's um, she was good, but the cool thing What's was, she doing now? Uh, I think she's doing half Ironman. She's still training. Okay, but that just in a, it happened to be that she's actually been training with the Norwegian team. Oh. And so the Norwegians were actually crushing this race, and she knows all the insides of oh, what's actually going nice. on. Which gave it a really good insight because if you had just been commentating on the race, you'd be going, this is amazing, blah, blah, blah. But she actually was saying, this is amazing. This is why they're doing this, this, and this. So as it turned out, uh, in the race, you know, swims a swim. They come out. But then there's a breakaway. There's a Norwegian guy break, breaks away on the bike called Casper uh, Stornes. Never heard of him before. Never done anything before. He's only a young guy born in 1997. He's only 20. He breaks away and just rides away from the, from the pack. And yes, he was riding strong. But by all accounts, the pack was just doodling along. Because they didn't know him. Some peasant. We can run him down. Yeah, yeah. Even if he gets a couple of minutes, we'll run him down. Uh, and then later on in the ride, then a couple more guys break away. And to, again, two of them are Norwegians. And there was also um, 
one guy from bloody hell, I can't remember, uh, um, another Scandinavian country, Denmark, I think it was. Okay. And so then, then you had these guys riding away. So you had Norwegian at first, and then you had a couple of Norwegians in third and fourth coming off the bike, and everybody else is miles behind. This guy builds up, uh, I think it was n- around two minutes 20 lead. Oh, wow. Because he only ran 32.50. Yeah. And then he managed to hold on. He had the best run, one of the best runs of his life. He, he, he ran about what he normally averages, I think, um, but after riding 40K solo. And then Christian Blumenfeld uh, finished in second place. Now, he's a regular favourite, oh. so no great surprise there, especially when he's got a lead on the rest of the pack. And then Gustav Eden, also from Norway, came in third place. Those guys finished, just ran together all the way. And he's got a, he's got a bit of pedigree, so it's not like he was a total surprise. Uh, so he had Norway going one, two, and three in the men. First time ever that you've had a male sweep on the podium by one really? country. Really? First time ever? And it was by Norway, who up to this stage have never even won a WTCS race. And... Christian Blumenfeld was is, hasn't won a race, so nobody's ever won a race from Norway. And then they go one, two, three, incredible! Wow, absolutely. What happened incredible. to Schumann? Schumann was he was right there running in sort of uh, best of the runners, and then he must have blown up because he was right there, and then boom, he blew it to eighth place. So still maybe a few question marks over his ability over the the Olympic distance race. Mario Mola ran his way up to fourth, had a very good uh, run, and yeah, just blows you away that a country can go from having one really good guy one pretty good guy to then going one two three in a competitive field a few guys did dnf and it wasn't the best 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 field you're ever going to have but you still, still had some yeah. some rock stars in there for a dofi bloody rock the party as well she had a, we're going to say an itu domination of the dojo well, and she became the first female ever to lead from wire to wire so really from for, bike that, and run that, these two records blow my mind away. So never in ITU so since in, the series. In, in the modern era. Yeah, so since um, drafting became legal. So pretty much since the Olympics. Hmm. Okay. So since 2000, yeah. we've never had one country dominate a race, in yep. the men's race at least. Yeah. That, that blows my mind away. Mm-hmm. And then we've, and Flora Duffy's the first time we've ever had to start to finish leader. Uh, that's what I believe. That's what they're saying in the commentary. Wow. And, and, and Schumann, a couple of weeks ago, was the first male to ever go lead from swim bike run because that's think- mind-blowing so the sport's been going for what 18 years yeah and like if you, look the, the the three teams even that i find quite hard you would think well, the you, great you british think the brownlies would have done it but then yeah. you always think there's richard varga or somebody like that just one person in front yeah, of them yeah, to swim uh and that would have sport so they would have been first off the bike in the run but there would have been that one person in the swim that might have led them out or henry schumann might have led them out so the brownlies have clearly not tried to win being the swims. first the sw- out of the swim. I know Johnny Brown, he's probably led out a few swims, but maybe he didn't, didn't end up winning the race. So. Well, you still got to be first off the bike, don't you? Mm. So you might be in a pack. And mm. so, but pretty fascinating. You would have thought, and then like, so if I had said to you, John, never an ITU, a guy used to, no, you're, you're dreaming, Bev. Yeah. You're dreaming. And again, we're talking the modern era here because there was guys like Rick Wells and stuff who did it back in the day, but we're talking the modern era. So the, the women's race was completely boring and you've got to take your hats off to Flora Duffy. Just insane. She had the fastest run split after putting a couple of minutes into the into the whole field on the bike and after leading the swim. Uh, just bloody impressive. Vicky Holland was second, Katie Zaveris was in third place. Okay, Super League have announced quite a big 
kind of PR statement. The Super League yeah, Triathlon yeah. schedule will include five championship races and two qualifying events for the 2018-19 season. The qualifying races are set for Poland, Canada, Spain, Australia, and Singapore. No, no, no. The qualifying races are going to be in um, Poland and Canada. So oh, okay. And the, well, the championship team. races will take place in Jersey, UK, uh, Spain, Australia, and Singapore. The championship series starts on the 29th of September in Jersey. Slated to compete in that event are Alistair Brownlee or the Brownleys, Flora Duffy, Richard Murray, Schumann, Mola, Gentle, lots, basically lots of rock stars. The final event will be held in Australia on the 16th and 17th of March. Maybe we should pop on over, John. We should do. Uh, each championship race will feature 25 men and females, athletes qualifying for the championship series through previous Super League races, wildcard qualification, and through qualification races in um, Pozan and Penticton. So this is going to be really interesting to see what happens here and how much money they've got on the line because this is going to extend the career, uh, not the career, the season of the short course athlete to making it a very long season. So, so, it, it, so the races... So the main races are basically going to be October uh, and November in, in Malta and Mallorca and then they'll be having a break and they'll come back in February and March. And how does that work around the ITU? Obviously, they've looked... So that fits in well with the ITU season because the ITU season finishes in in September, so they've got to hang on for, you know, another month or so through to Malta and then then it looks like the next weekend in November. So the athlete season will finish at the beginning of November and then they've got all of November, all of December, all of January, in theory, off racing and then they're back into it. uh, And this would happen before the beginning of the ITU because yeah, ITU, yeah, just so ITU there, normally it? starts um, uh, this year. It started in late March in Abu Dhabi, so it fits in really well with the ITU season. But it extends the athlete seasons. Yeah, there. and in hard and look, what they're doing with Super League's hard racing. Mm. So th- I, I think they're going to have to be coughing up some pretty decent money to get all those names that they claim they're going to have. Not certainly not saying it's not impossible. I think the athletes will enjoy it. What sort of shape they'll be in will be one question, and how much money's on offer is going to be the next question. So you may end up seeing, you know, some guys really eyeing this up, maybe second-tier guys, and really trying to specialise in this, and and think this could be a fantastic paycheck. But the, but the interesting question is, let's look long term. Let's say it's ten years from now, and this has been really successful. The thing about this kind of Super League Championship is it's. It's a business. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one thing they've been trying to do really hard is to kind of get the media coverage around the world and so on. And, you know, so the, what happens if this is actually more rewarding than ITU? You know, like potentially if, if they get big money backing and we know ITU in comparison to Ironman pays a lot more. Mm. But let's say, you know, you win a, a Super League, you end up a million bucks. Yeah, that, that would be the, the changer. And it's going to have to be really, really deep. So you yeah. get onto that and you are set. But otherwise, you, you, you know, you, you've always got that draw of the Olympics and you've got that support of your national federation mm. that you'll need to be racing well on the ITU circuit. And so I think they'll be a long way off doing that. So the top tier, you know, the top five, they might be looking at this going, geez, you know, a million bucks here. But if you're ranked 15 through 30 or something, then you, know, you might get $5,000 for going and doing this. Then yeah. you're going to go less priority. But if everybody is, uh, right, you sign on, everybody that does this is uh, $100,000 for everybody is just your, that's your contract fee for just basically yeah. making, making it into the series, you get a hundred grand. And then the winner is going to, you know, then it's going to be a, a several million dollar prize pool then that might change things. Well, yeah, because that's, that's where it becomes very interesting because if we look at it, then we say, well, 
what happens when the the money for the whole field is significantly higher than what the ITU represents? Mm. Now the ITU always has a carrot of national funding and the good Olympics. Good money at the moment. Good money on the ITU. Yeah, but you know it was, it was just really interesting because Super League are working with the ITU, so I don't think they want to be competition. But I just the the only concern now is these athletes lead a pretty hard life. And you see from last year, you know, it was quite different results at the end of the season to the start of the season. And you're seeing more and more, it's getting more and more competitive. So the, the top athletes look invincible at their main races, but then you go to other races when they're out of shape and they're beatable by the, yeah. the second tiers. And, 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 you know, if we think about the long-term, the longevity of a, of a top ITU athlete, is adding more of these, because let's be honest, Super League must be hard if you're going to treat it with respect. Mm-hmm. You know, tr- adding five more of these races to your season, a lot of what racing. does that mean to your longevity in your career? So it's just mm. things to look forward to in the future. John, this weekend we've got Ironman. Australia. You, 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 Australia. You've got Australia. Port Macquarie. It's the Oceania Tri Club Championships. Uh, last year we had. David Dello take it out from Tim Reid and Clayton Fattel. Uh, the girls' side of things, we had Laura Sedell take it out from Michelle Gailey and Jessica um, Mitchell. Uh, this year, Laura Sedell is back to defend her title. She's going to be going up against Annabelle Luxford, who she's been beaten several times this yeah. season over the half It's the rivalry of the, of, the, of the Southern Hemisphere. Yes, Annabelle Luxford, fantastic 70.3 half Ironman athlete, and Laura Sedell is the opposite. Her strength lies uh, in longer, so I think she'll be uh, she'll be pretty hungry for a battle, old Laura Sedell, in what, terms of taking that one out. What about the men's race, eh? Mm. Marino Van Helnecker. Oh, you've got to love Marino's name. Bit of man love there. Uh, Marino David Van Helnecker, David Dello, Luke McKenzie, Dougal Allen, Mark Bosted, Clayton Fattel, Pretty pretty decent field. Yeah. Um, would you put your money on Marino? Yeah, I still would at this stage. But you know, if David Dallow and Luke McKenzie or Dougal, those guys they fire up. Um, Marino's going to have to have a good day to, to win it. It's, you know, predi- predictions: uh, Marino to come in at eight fifteen, David Dallow eight sixteen, Luke McKenzie eight seventeen, and Dougal. You just don't know. With some of those guys, you don't really know what you're going to be getting these days. You don't. No. You know, David Dallow is great athlete, and he obviously won last year. Luke McKenzie, you don't know what you're going to get from him. Dougal Allen, he'll light up the bike. Uh, so yeah, you've got a number of uber strong bikers there. You know. Yeah, you have. Marino's 41. The, the interesting thing about the 41-year-old is how much do they want it still? Hmm. You know, and if they've got that want, it's someone of his pedigree you're going to put your money on, but do they still have but that he's want? Still, he's still winning. I remember last year, he's still winning races. Yeah. He's going good. Okay, there you go. Harold's David Dello. John, you talk about something else for a second. I'm going to pick David Dello to be 36. 39. I was going to go there, but I thought that might be a bit mean in case you said. I was sort of initially going 37, 38. Yeah, there you go. He's 39. Mm. I liked him because he liked Wally Lewis. Okay, John, sponsor. I wonder how old Dougal Allen is. Luke McKenzie, this is the old man's race. Luke McKenzie's got to be... in okay, wait, 35 wait, wait, wait. 39 age group. Yeah, he, he would be, yep. And okay, Dougal Allen, I'd say, would be pushing... Dougal Allen's not that old, is he? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, wait, I'll do Luke McKenzie. Yep. Um, Luke McKenzie, professional triathlete, 36. Okay, I was Dougal. right, 35 to 39 age group. Yeah, you were, yep, you're right. Dougal Allen, let's have a look here. Has he got a Wikipedia page? That's a big question. 33. Okay. So he's the young, young snapper. Young whippersnapper. Young whippersnapper. Okay, Jombo, sponsor. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And also your protein buffer as well. So they've got a fantastic chocolate flavour. They've also got a really nice vanilla flavour. I love their protein stuff. It comprises whey protein, hyd- 
hydroslate, whey protein isolate, all loads of other words that I can't pronounce. But it all in means a hurry. good. Uh, you get 20 grams of protein supported by 18 amino acids. It's going to maximize your recovery. It's also refueling with 1,500 milligrams of lactate. Supports your lean muscle growth. Fortified with vitamins B6, B12, and D. It's gluten-free. We love that. Uh, and you can get yourself some discounts by using the promo code IMTALK20 on all of the X-Endurance products at xendurance.com plus dot. Uh, EU plus dot uh, co dot UK I think it is so get that promo code in there get yourself some deals if you're starting your racing now especially for you Northern Hemisphere athletes you know marathon season might be sort of it's sort of starting to come towards the end of those uh, sort of spring marathons but get yourself recovered especially running you know you should beat your legs up and uh, protein is going to help you get recovered and let's be honest a nice chocolate protein shake oh, tastes so good when you come back <laughs> yeah, to the reason we train let's be honest yeah. okay it's endurance.com remember the promo code IMTALK20 and they've got some new clothing out there as well so check out their clothing range John we've done 15 minutes for news I know there <laughs> might be some trimming later on in the show okay Jombo so let's talk about this week's discussions I, I'm, I'm impressed because I wasn't expecting much but it was actually quite popular so the question was what are the good things versus the bad things about training in a group and brett what chan we're yeah. gonna meet brent and uh he's coming over to roach oh good times we'll just be going around he's gonna have his family as well so we'll be doing this to him and the his kids. family will yep. be going what <laughs> the hell is going on uh love the group dynamic of having people help push you during intervals as many people have said i hate how people feel they have to need the need to come loaded with their excuses pre-workout oh, i just did my 50k long run yesterday i'm a little bit tired yeah, I'm just going to take it easy today. I did 4,000 metres in the pool this morning. Didn't get much sleep last night. Probably won't have a great workout. Wow, so and so ran really well today. Was totally killing in those intervals. They probably didn't race like that race last weekend like I did. I'm hearing you, Brent. I'm hearing you. Just If you, if you find you have excuses, shut yourself up. Deal with the moment. Belfong's got pros making getting out of bed easier if you know you have to meet others, especially in the winter, and cons forced to go at somebody else's pace if they're faster or slower than you, e.g. group rides. Justin Duggan, I love a beer afterwards, but as long as the workout, as far as the workouts, it's just a social time. If you're training with people at your skill level, it can be good to aim to train with better people. Agree with that. Christine McKinley, the grind has got uh, like cycling in a group with cyclists, not triathletes, especially when you're one of the weakest and are hanging on. Oh dear. Oh, and of course, of course, the coffee afterwards. Dislike excessive talkers or people who faff on about too much or turn up late. Don't like group running. Enjoy the de-stressed nature of running my own plug-in to my podcast or my music. Come on, Chris. You come along with a bit of Monday night running. Yeah. We had a great time last night. Uh, Caroline Farley safety and numbers the squad I've trained with over summer are super safe conscious and I really like that also the fact uh, I always tend to push a little bit harder with others around so it helps me to improve obviously also the social aspect is a pro too do you know what's really interesting I read a no where did I read this I was reading some report recently um, around safety in females like mm-hmm. you and I never think about safety when we're no, running no not at all and there was something like, now I'm pulling this out my butt, but it was something like 90% of females who go out running at night or, you know, feel very unsafe. Mm, I and can understand that. Yeah, you totally are. And it's just something as men you don't really think about. Mm. And just those barriers that to exercise for females in particular, you know, often 
non-exercisers is getting them out as hard enough as it is. Mm. But then when they've got those barriers around safety, which is, let's be honest, it's fear. Mm. Um, so that's where the group can be a really powerful thing because there's that sense of, okay, well, someone's going to be here to look after me. Uh, Richard Swanee Noah Swan. I saw he had a photo on Facebook of him leading 14-year-olds in a race. Nice. Nice work, Swanee Noah. Uh, going to the cafe afterwards, I am sure that other people may not like uh, being punished by me consistently talking throughout them. <laughs> there you go. Luke Egolts, uh, trying to get everyone organised and out the door and on the road at the same time. Invariably, someone is late and the whole event takes way longer than just doing it solo. Different abilities also makes doing effective workouts difficult. Aaron Lee's got to love the social aspect, especially with track workouts. Keeps me accountable. Uh, last one I'll do is Jeff Morgan. I'm the slowest, always. I improved hugely. Unfortunately, so has everyone else. Hence, I'm always holding everybody up. The club is great, though, and really encouraging. Oh, Mark Funkster Brooks. That's a great name, isn't it? Have you ever done his, have you? No. They can be a double-edged sword. On one hand, there's the additional motivation, banter, and numbers. On the other, it is mostly the guys. It is a penis waving about who can go the fastest or hardest. Mm-hmm. I'm lucky that some of the guys I cycle with uh, know that I'm going to take it easy on the hills and catch them on the flats. John, pros and cons for you. Yeah, well, I've, I've got. To, I'm looking at it from an athlete perspective, not a coach perspective, and I do try to. Um, uh, I just got an email. I'm just trying. I'm still trying to get some bloody legends of triathlete athletes <sighs> on, and it's it's doing my head. Legends up. are a pain in the bum. They are. They really are. Sharpen up, legends. <laughs> Anyhow, um, from an athletic point of view, what frustrates me is too much chatter and too much too um, too long explaining sets. From so the coach is trying to explain it, you're standing around and just just counting. Oh, so this is like an organised by a group coach or something. Yes. Okay. Uh, too much standing around, but the same thing applies with with group stuff. Just the the waiting around. That's been the main thing that does mm. my head in. So that hence I don't do a lot of group stuff. Uh, I tend to have small groups and we're pretty focused on what we're doing. We've got a strict start time, and we sort of plan ahead going, this is what we're doing, and boom, 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 and get the job done. No, not, no standing around. I think there's a lot. And, and the other thing is I'm not really at the stage now where you can be sort social. of do the social, but afterwards it's like do the training, go home, family. Yeah. But that's that's something. Yeah, okay. So for me, I liked it because I was, I do I was motivated by those people I trained with. Hmm. You know, not in a dick waving way, but you know, when like I remember one day you and I were doing a ride and I was just suffering and you just took off. I still remember that day. Yeah. It was so fun <laughs> coming down Old West Coast Road. <laughs> We've been hammering it. Kevin's stronger than me on the bike and he just crumbled. I was like, yeah, you're dead to me. <laughs> no, but I think this is a different day. But I'm glad you remember that. <laughs> No, but but you know, and then I looked up and you're killing yourself, and I was like, "Come on, Bev, you can, you know, you know." And so there is that kind of thing about having people to train with. Mm. The downfall is often it doesn't, it's not within your program. Mm. Um, so maybe if you talk to your coach around, you know, I'm going to do a group ride, you know, and think about that because I probably didn't train as specifically as I could have because, mm. I, but I did enjoy group training. It's mm-hmm. it definitely I trained harder in a group, mm. um, and you know, admittedly I was often at the pointy end, which helped. But so that was kind of for me. I never really embraced the social side of it post training, mm-hmm. but I think that's something that. I probably should have done more of, um, you know, like I, it's, a lot of Ironmen can create quite lonely lives. Mm. And, um, and for those Ironmen who only train by themselves, have often neglected their social, that that can become, uh, why did you smell the water before you drink it? Your water hasn't been pure, has, has not been chlorinated yet. Oh, okay. He's at his water. I wasn't going to drink a bloody chlorine. Oh, Christ, we had the best water in the world, but they've just recently added chlorine it's to it. horrendous. Oh, I haven't, yeah, I haven't got it yet. Um, but anyway, um, 
And I think for I mean it's probably a good thing if you are someone who's training by themselves, got a pretty busy life, neglecting social, to do a group ride and actually hang out for the coffee at the afterwards mm. because it's really valuable. And it's sort of like interesting with our running groups. With like, so we're trying to help beginners. But with our 5K group, one thing we've been talking about recently is in the first three weeks, we've got to make sure we do a run where there's a really good cafe at the end. Yep. Because we know that if those people go for a coffee, they're going to make friendships, they're going to continue exercise. And so it's just those little things that more than just the athletic experience. So I did. I really enjoy training in groups. Um, but at times also, you just got to think about how it fits into your program. The other thing I would say is it's good to get out of your comfort zone a bit. And that's why I went back to doing I was a bit negative Nancy over there just saying the things I don't like. But one of the things that I do really like is getting out of your comfort zone because I think we're so wound into our devices these days. Yeah. And you're just sticking to your numbers and going, that's all I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do. I'm sticking to my numbers. That's you know, But actually to go on a ride where you actually get out of your comfort zone good physical conditioning but also good mental conditioning going I've got, I've got to hang on here this is you know the, and, and, you, and if you're just going I'm going to ride at Ironman what's all the way through then this you know group training is a fantastic way on the bike to get out of your comfort zone well, and, and lastly probably my downfall was I probably group trained too much hmm. you know what I mean and I probably could have done it now maybe if I had the tools of today I may have done less but I probably trained too hard too often because I was doing groups so particularly with cycling not with running so much uh, John Bo this week's discussion what oh I thought it was an interesting one it's not it's gonna be hard one to talk about but but it is a good one so basically what john's thought of here is he wants you to go and find your oldest photo of you racing and then the next within the same post or you know do two posts show us your most recent photo of you racing Mm -hmm. so we want to see the contrast of where were you when you started your journey someone like louis the fly yeah back in the 80s yeah he's gonna have a good photo uh or you know so where were when you started where are you right now some people have probably lost some weight some people will probably look at these photos and only sharpen up yeah so that's, that's this week's discussion. So put your photos on Facebook. John, uh, we've got an interview. We have, brought to you by Tanya Pora. Oh, Tanya Pora, so, tell me about it. Tanya Pora, best facilities you're going to find anywhere in the globe. You get to have the whole you know, Asian experience, something you're not going to necessarily be used to. You're going to get the food, you're going to get the culture. We love, Asia. We love and, going to Asia. Yeah, the thing is, but then you've got a really super modern facility where you're going to have the, some of the comforts at home, of home and you're going to be able to train awesomely. So, if you you know if you're lining up thinking about uh, Kona this year and you you need some heat acclimatization, fantastic place to go and train. Uh, got the, the swimming pools, you have got the running tracks, you got some nice riding, and you got some great food. And look, I've interviewed a couple of guys that have been over there now, like Mitch is at Mitch Robbins, who we're talking to today. You sort of talk to them off air, and and they go, yeah, the place is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like it's triathletes heaven. You've just got everything you need. In one place, and uh, it's a great training facility, great cultural experience. Good thing about Thailand as well, it's not going to blow your socks off in terms of pricing. So check it out, tanyapora.com. And here comes Mitch Robbins. Who Just quickly before we go, Mitch, I'm on Booking.com because my wife loves travel agency. Mm-hmm. And she, to guys, Booking.com is the place to go. Yeah. Yep. They're all the other ones. Not as good. Booking.com. But tell you what, some of the reviews people are saying here, lovely staff, excellent facilities, beautiful location, food is fabulous, especially the raw range. Can't wait to stay again. So, you know, like obviously people just love this place. So excellent sports facility and the clean environment, mm. which can often, you know, let's be honest, parts of Asia aren't that clean. Yes. So this is actually quite nice. Not, not picking on Asians, but there is parts of Asia where it's, those don't have maybe the infrastructure that mm-hmm. some Western countries have. Uh, so it is quite nice to go to a really beautiful place. So tanyapora.com, check it out. John, who we got on? We've got Mitch Robbins coming your way right now. Okay, here we go. 
Okay, guys, uh, we have Ironman Australia coming up this weekend, and we've got a bunch of athletes on there that some have got tons of experience, some have got a little bit less, and some that are going to be breaking their Ironman virginity, and one of those is uh, Mitch Robbins, he's an Australian, who's also been, does a lot of training and based around uh, in Asia, so um, Mitch, welcome along to the show. Good morning, thanks for having me. Look, you've had, um, before we sort of go into your success of especially racing around Asia and stuff, maybe just tell us a bit about where you're from and your sort of path to being a pro triathlete. Right. Well, um, I was born and uh, grew up in Port Macquarie, home of, um, now home of I'm in Australia. Um, I, uh, I had a great upbringing there. It's a, a small coastal town, um, four hours drive north from Sydney, um, and I, I grew up surfing and um, you know playing all the the usual sports like um, like most kids do. And uh, um, I didn't start triathlon until much later. Um, I was probably too busy with my um, um, surfing and um, a million other sports I could have could have found before um, triathlon. Um, but I think. Uh, it's one of these things that every kid sort of has the opportunity to see um, each year, the Ironman, and, um, yeah, it was uh, it was pretty – it was really cool to, to see. I remember before I knew what it was, seeing, um, like, Patrick Vernet and Jason Shortis and these yeah. guys running around and thinking they were super cool. I don't know. There was something cool about um, what they were doing. So that was my first sort of memory of it, but um, – yeah, oh gosh, what, it's been a wild ride already. Um, so, you, so you started a, started tries in, in two thousand and seven. So, as far as what I could find. So, prior to that, did you have any you know particular um, standout? You know, were you were you a runner, were you a swimmer, or it's literally you just sort of got into it and um, and just got on the triathlon bandwagon? Yeah, I, I did. Um, like I said, I, I did surf club. You know, surf life saving. Um, so I could swim. Um, Every kid can ride a push bike, um, and I did. Uh, I did have, um, you know, a lot of, uh, I guess, success as a runner through school, um, cross country running. Um, I, I won a lot of New South Wales titles and um, raced at a national level, and I was just a talented little runner. Um, mm. And, and uh, that was that was probably the thing that um, linked the triathlon. How I, you know, how I got started because. Um, I did a team event, and it must have been 2007, yeah. at the Half Ironman here in Port Macquarie. Um, and after doing the team event, you know, one leg's never enough, and and that's how I, I got started. And um, being a runner, I guess, is uh, um, a big advantage in triathlon, particularly for beginners, because it, it doesn't make the race so miserable. I could <laughs> I could enjoy the whole way through, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's how I got started as a runner. So I do have a, 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 um, a sporting background, but but not specifically triathlon, no. 
So, I mean, when, when I look around a lot of the, the athletes now, especially the Aussies, um, are, you know, doing well at 70.3s and non-drafting races, they often seem to have at least given the the ITU sort of circuit a crack in terms of the the, the ITU drafting series and stuff. Um, was that was that the case with, with yourself or did you, did you I, I did see a couple of results in there, but did you just sort of dabble in it and, and then fairly quickly go into sort of the non-drafting format? Yeah, um, it is. The, I, I still believe the ITU pathway is a really um, important, not not necessary, but it's a really great um, pathway for young kids to take because it teaches so much um, skill and racing, um, you know, racing smarts, for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, as I, I, uh, I didn't even know what um, the ITU was or that there was an Olympic element to it or anything because I saw the Ironman um, first, and I, I just thought, oh, this sport's sort of like an ultra-endurance sport only. Um, yeah. So after probably, um, you know, doing a couple of club races around Port Macquarie, um, my first um, race, you know, my first serious race was a half-distance race, and I did a few of these races for, for a couple of years before I was um, – I guess talent ID'd by the um, by the Australian, um, you know, um, the Australian Institute of Sport, um, yeah. and they they contacted me and invited me to um, to come and train with them um, and do some some camps, um, and and that was around the time that uh, I guess um, it was before London 2012. So this was around 2010 and. I was training with um, Aaron Royal and Ryan Bailey and um, Brendan Sexton. They, those guys were the yeah. um, the ones who were racing really well at the time. And um, I, I did a few races. There was um, there was a season in Europe, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it, it was funny though because that's not the typical path, right? It's usually um, starting with. Um, the short distance ITU racing and skill development and then leading into wherever your career might take you. So mine was um, definitely a little bit um, abstract like that, but yeah, here I am. I did I did notice that you got a, a fifth at the um, – well, you won, a, won an ITU sort of premier race, not, not a World Championship Series one, but I did I did have a quick look at one of your results and you got a fifth at, a, at an ITU, a sort of ETU race in Geneva. And I did note – I looked down the list to see who else was there and I note you, note you smoked Patrick Langer, the current uh, Ironman World Champion. He was way down in 15th place and you were up there in fifth, so you got a good scalp there. Yeah, good. I'll uh, I'll retire now with that on my resume. <laughs> Easy. So um, the other thing that I sort of, uh, you know, Wikipedia is an amazing thing. You believe everything that you find on there, but it did say about you that um, you had a foot injury from 2012 to 14. So did that sort of put you completely out of action? And was that sort of the process where you, you went from maybe doing short course to, to sort of the non-drafting and, and half Ironmans? Yeah, um, it, that was definitely the, the catalyst for um, some change in my career direction because I guess, you know, I had moderate success at ITU racing. I I won, you know, three or four Continental Cups. Mm. Um, I did have um, some some really – some performances where I guess I, I was um, motivated to continue. Um, and at the time I was essentially, um, you know – 
developing skills and and um, at the Continental Cup and World Cup level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also um, the training partner for Brad Carlefeld. So mm-hmm. I was able to learn from him and um, and that was awesome. And Brad and I are still good friends um, because of that. So uh, after this, this year, 2011, um, Racing ITU, I was over in the States um, doing some non-drafting stuff early 2012. And um, coming out of the, the water after the swim, um, I just stepped on a piece of broken porcelain, mm-hmm. which was um, sort of, I guess it was anchored in the sand, you know, so it was just semi-exposed on the top. And um, I stood on that and, and I severed four out of the five toe flexor tendons in my mm-hmm. left foot and completely severed the plantar fascia and... Um, oh. As you could, yeah, imagine it did a whole lot of um, damage and uh, looked like a dog chewed on my foot. Um, so, yeah, that that was um, almost a couple of hundred stitches and um, two years of rehabilitation. So, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did a good job, a really good job. Um, well, this is a, it was just a side question, but when you're an athlete racing in the States, you know, we're, we're from, you know, we've got different insurance systems in New Zealand and Australia and different parts of the world. What's it like getting treatment and stuff over there? Yeah, it was a bit scary because, um, uh, everyone's heard these horror stories of, um, you know, the, the Medicare system in the U S or the, you know, I didn't really know enough, but I knew enough to be um, worried. And um, I I was lucky enough to be staying with a homestay family who are both emergency room doctors. Um, They they sorted things pretty quickly and made sure that I got um, immediate treatment uh, regardless of um, what the insurance papers were saying because they were looking at me and and saying, you know, unless you're going to pay us right now, we'll send you to some second-rate clinic and just basically patch your foot together. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I got um, surgery straight away and they, they went and reattached all the tendons and stuff and, um, and you know, that basically, well, I guess it, you know, saved my, um, my career to date because um, probably without that immediate um, treatment, I could have been in a, a lot worse off position and, um, I, I came home about two weeks after a surgery and got some follow-up stuff done here just to ensure that, you know, things would be working as good as possible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, basically no, no complaints. It, obviously it, it was a huge, um, setback, but, um, these days I can't flex my toes. I have, um, resistance at say zero degrees as your foot sits neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I'm running, you can imagine that I, I can't um, grip with my toes, but as I'm, um, you know, extending off the ground, uh, I can have um, that resistance at, at sort of zero degrees. So um, more or less my leg works um, works fine and, and I'm still improving my running. And um, the, the lesson learned is just a lot of um, – injury management since then so you know I do a lot of strength and conditioning and just to make sure that things work properly because there is there is uh my left and my right leg don't work um Mm. 
exactly the same as each other and as everyone would know who does, you know, an endurance sport or repetitive movements, however many running steps or pedal strokes you do with a difference in left to right leg, you can really throw yourself out of whack like your hips mm. or your back or anything like that. So, yeah, it's just it's just something I deal with and um, it happened and, mm. um, yeah, so, it could be worse, huh? There's a yeah. lot of people with, with a lot of worse things than I have, that's for sure. So, so getting back into it, you know, you, you've had some really good success over the recent years in, in Asia. So you come back from that injury and I was sort of reading, I think you finished up your, your studies. Mm-hmm. Did you basically go, right, I'm going to Asia, I'm not doing, uh, you know, not doing America, I'm not doing ITU. What was your sort of thought processing that, that sort of got you to, to sort of where you are now in terms of, you know, the majority, it looks like the majority of your racing is in Asia? Yeah, yeah. Um... The, the good thing about having a forced layoff is having time to really think, okay, am I just doing this because I just did it yesterday? You know, that's the easy thing to do. Um, but I was able to sort of reflect and think, okay, is this, um, is this career in sport really uh, that which I want to pursue? And, um, you know, I found that I, I, I did want to pursue it. I really had, um, you know, thing, un, unfinished business i guess you could say that and um that was confirmed when i think uh, the first um event i did when i came back was a challenge foster Mm -hmm. half distance um and i won that which was really really unexpected i went there to finish and um after winning that that was a, a real um really nice confirmation that okay i think i'm moving in the right direction here and um and off we went so um yeah, since then it's been um, it's been a lot of my decisions have been based around you know I really um, want to get the best out of myself, but am I also enjoying this and you know living my life like um, not not wasting my my time doing something I, I don't really enjoy? So I guess that's how the racing in Asia came about because um, bottom line I can combine. Um, traveling and seeing the world with um and, and living in a in a in different countries mm. and and competing in a in an area where there is plenty of races and it's a new and um expanding market so mm. um, it just seemed like a bit of an easy fit and it's close to us in in southeast asia right so it makes traveling easy and you're not spending every weekend on a plane around america i just didn't want to do that you know, no mm. matter how how uh, it seemed like um, a lot of the Aussie athletes do that, but um, just just wasn't for me. You know, it's been done before, and I wanted to do something else. So, how, what's it like in Asia for you? Now, there's a few people over there. I know Dimity Lee Duke and um, uh, what's her name Amelia Watkinson. There's you know there's a there's a few more Aussies, Kiwis, and and Freddie Cronenberg people like that are over there. Um, you know, how, how do you sort of carve out your own little niche over there? Because of course, there's the there's a few challenge races, there's a few seventy point threes. But what's the what's the rest of the scene like in terms of races and um, and in terms of earning potential for you guys? Is it prize money or do you sort of try to get in with with local sponsors? Yeah, it there, there is a lot of um, events there for sure. You know, um, uh, particularly now that. Um, Wanda Group uh, has bought Ironman in China. Um, there's a there's a real focus, I think, on um, triathlon in Asia, and uh, it, it seems like a sport that's really 
picking up not just triathlon but um, endurance events, um, you know, in general. So, yeah, there's there's plenty plenty to keep keep me busy up there. Um, I do also, you know, some local races again due to the fact that I can go to some 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 place in the middle of nowhere that I would never um, have the opportunity to go before mm. um, or otherwise. So. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of races. Um, I do of uh, get out of of Asia and um, go to Europe or back back here in Australia or America or whatever. I mean, that's that's the way the races go. But um, yeah, th- there is plenty of events um, to keep busy. But I think more so it's um, it's the training environment which uh, anchors me there um, because of the you know the warm climate, the predictable weather the um the very the variation of training facilities and um uh yeah and and this to the second part of the question the earning potential um yeah it's it's limited but it is everywhere in triathlon so we get by and um i guess if if you're smart enough you can find ways to um to supplement some income by doing other uh, uh, you know, other things or, or trying to stand out somehow. But, um, yeah, that, that's definitely the challenging part, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So um, where, where, are you, where do you actually base yourself during most of the season? Uh, so we're in, we're in Phuket in mm-hmm. Thailand. Um, and my partner, Abby, she is a, a primary school teacher. She teaches at the international school. Um, it's called UWC, United World Colleges, and that's um, – located at a facility um, at Tanyapura. It's yeah. it's the same, I guess the same facility, but they're two independent businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I spend my days at Tanyapura training there, um, which is magic. It's just um, anyone who's been uh, will, will agree with me. It's, it's, um, it's just an amazing facility. Um, yeah, you can't beat it. There's, there's multiple swimming pools, running tracks, gyms, um, uh, recovery facilities, um, everything, everything, um, an athlete, not just a triathlete could want. It's, it's like the paradise for, um, for sports nerds. So when you're at Tanyapura, you know, if you, if you contrast your training to say when you're back home, um, do you, once you, once you're fully acclimatized and, and used to the heat, do you modify what you do um, very much, you know, in terms of are you able to do the same sort of workouts that you do back home or is it always, you know, a few few seconds slower, a few watts slower when you're, when you're over there in, in that sort of heat? It, it, it's significantly different um, training in, the, in, in different weather conditions and I've spent a lot of time in Asia. I've been, I've been up in... Um, at Tanyapura since um, 2011, you know, on and off training there. So um, it's taken me a long, long time to figure out how to um, to train and, and recover and treat yourself right in a in an environment such as um, as Thailand. Mm-hmm. It's been a part of a bigger process to ultimately one day, you know, um, racing Kona and um, Teaching your body to deal with the heat is a, a really important part of, um, of that. Obviously, you know, the heat will just stop you in your tracks. There's nothing you can um, do to, to manage it if you haven't prepared um, 
properly. So, you know, for example, I'd find, you know, if, if I'm in a, a cool climate um, and I wanted to go and run on the track and belt out some 1K reps, um, with my running background, I can run quite fast, you know, under, under three-minute pace, for example. Mm. And then to go and try that in the heat at, um, at Tanyapura, I, I can barely get down, you know, under 320 pace. So mm. there's, there's a massive, massive um, difference in um, how your body responds when you're in uh, a climate like that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good challenge. Um, and then, again, if you can train properly, uh, the effects of, of training in the heat um, can be really beneficial when then racing in a in a cooler uh, climate it's a similar similar adaptations to altitude training with i think uh, a little bit less risk mm. so um you know you're, you're a bit of a local there you know what are some of the cool things you know we, we've talked with lots of athletes about tanyapur and, and the facilities and how awesome they are and i don't think that can be overstated for, um but what about some of the other things you like to do over there that you know sometimes are things that are a little bit off the off the beaten track or uh, uh other things that might you know outside of the actual training facility and what are some of the things you like to do over there yeah well we do like to do plenty of um uh extracurricular activities let's say we <laughs> yeah. um because my partner abby she's not a triathlete at all and um any any um any tribe widows would would um, agree with me that you know we we need to balance our life a little bit better as as endurance athletes all have the tendency to probably you know do too much and get our ourselves in um, that kind of obsessive mindset yeah. or um, but we we get out um, often and and see Thailand and see other places in Southeast Asia and um, this there's like a really rich history and there's a lot of different um religions living together um peacefully something we could all probably um Mm. take a a leaf out of their book um you know there's there's obviously the things like you can go and visit temples and mountains and and all that kind of um thing and and food experiences there's there's just so much good food to go and try out um we also go um and do a lot of things like surfing and paddleboarding and fishing and um, mm. they're, they're sort of things that, that I like to do. Um, on a tropical island like Phuket, there's no shortage of water activities. Mm. Um, uh, cool. That's, that's yeah. Um, oh, look, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back there. It was tw- I think it's 20 years since – when the hell did I race there? I did the Laguna Phuket race in – 1999 I think it was so we're going to be back next year so it'll be 20 years so I'm sure it's going to be quite different and I've forgotten a lot about it but no you're right it's cool culture and it's uh especially for us Westerners to go and see all that stuff's pretty awesome. Um, so you've got Port Macquarie coming up. Um, you know, why are you choosing now to do an Ironman? Is it sort of a, a start of a potential of going longer? Are you just sort of doing it because you want to see what the iron distance is about? Or is it sort of a, you know, where, where, where are you sort of at with your career and, um, and, what, and why are you doing it? Uh, well, first and foremost, um, I think very few people get the opportunity to race in their hometown. Mm-hmm. And although I, I don't live in Port Macquarie these days, um, I probably would if I could afford a house, but I can only <laughs> afford one square metre of maybe not even. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, racing at home is um, 
is just going to be so cool and it's it's so motivating to to be able to um you know perform in front of my family and friends and and all the people who i guess i don't get to see and they might wonder why i spend so much time away every year and (laughs) there's just something really cool about that and um yeah that's first and foremost why i'm choosing to to race um it's just so lucky that coincidentally i can do my first ironman event at home and um i guess that'll be that'll be a real um hopefully a real advantage to be able to know the course and and you know you know where the headwind and tailwind sections are the rough parts this this that and the other um and then the other reason is um i've probably i turned 30 next month so i've done a lot of racing um beforehand but never an ironman distance for a couple of reasons i think um the a lot of people going to to race ironman's way too young your body's just probably not strong enough and not um trained enough to be able to race that kind of distance well Mm -hmm. um so i've modeled guys like i guess um craig alexander's a huge influence he he really waited till he was um into his 30s before racing Ironman distance and then his career speaks for itself, right? Mm. Um, longevity and performance-wise. Um, uh, Crowley's just, um, he's the man. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, the, the, the third reason is um, it's, been, it's been hard to justify racing an Ironman because it's such a big financial um, investment. Mm. I say that because... You need to put aside a big chunk of time to train for an Ironman and then if you do it well, a big chunk of time to recover properly afterwards. Um, in the past, I've had the opportunity to race a lot and earn a living from racing um, a couple of times a month, maybe you know every second weekend or, or mm-hmm. more. And we've all got bills to pay and I'm no different. So I've chosen to race a lot more and um in shorter distances um, to get by uh, without the risk of racing an Ironman and potentially coming up with nothing after mm. a three or four month investment in your time and um, physical investment too. So yeah, that's, that's the realities of it. Unless you can find um, some sponsors to, to um, offset those costs and make sure that you're not, um, you know, in dire straits, while you're training and that's that's kind of worst case scenario you don't want to be broke and mm. um having pressure to perform um just just to to cover your costs you know it's it's a harsh reality but um that's one that's probably one of the biggest reasons why i've um uh put off racing ironman distance for this long so so what are your what are your goals and, and expectations for the day, and how's the sort of how's the build up gone in terms of you know potentially I'd imagine doing some some longer miles and how are your numbers and things like that looking? Yeah, all the the training's been like relatively the same. We swim, bike, and run every day, and that doesn't change. Um, the dosage has just been um, uh, yeah a little bit more volume, less intensity. It's just such a long day and. Um, preparing physically and mentally, um, it's just about, for me, it's been about, um, being strong, being consistent over time and, um, training your mind to be positive and, um, and 
also tough, strong, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've been training in in the heat in the the hope that um, well, sort of in the hope and the knowledge that um, you know you can really gain some some good advantages, like I said before, from uh, adapting properly to the heat. Yep. So temperature in Port Mac will be um, somewhere around 20 degrees, a little bit less, a little bit more perhaps. Um, and, yeah, everything's, um, everything's gone great. No injuries. That's number one. Um, I've been enjoying myself, um, trying to, to keep healthy and eating enough food. There's been, there's been some new challenges with, that come with that kind of um, – ultra endurance training i mean it's it's just not normal for your body to be doing this kind of thing so um yeah i've enjoyed the new challenge and um i guess we'll find out um if i've done enough or too much or whatever it's um it's also a nice position to be in to to really have no no pressure on myself um because because it's uh it's a first time thing and and while i have my own um uh, you know, goals, I guess, um, they really are just speculation until you're out there on the course and, um, you know, seeing firsthand how it goes. What's, what's your plan for the rest of the season? Because, you know, the, the problem you've got these days is, you know, let's say you have an amazing race, uh, you either win it or you get in the top three or whatever, um, you're going to accru- accrue some points, but it's, it's certainly not going to be enough to, to get to Kona. I'd imagine you, you might have some 70.3 results in the bag. I haven't checked out the rankings, but um, ultimately it, it seems these days, you know, you really need to be doing two Ironmans. So, you know, if, if things go really well, um, does that influence what you've got planned for the rest of the year? And, and at this stage what have you got planned yeah, it's um it's tough because we can't plan a year um like we i guess we'd like to as a pro athlete because um it's very kind of reactive due, um based on on how races go and how results yeah. go so um uh, my my um i guess my my plan would be to um race well in port macquarie um and then to do another Ironman about five weeks later. Um, that would give me um, the the um, the I'll be putting myself in the position to qualify for Kona. Mm. Um, and walking that fine line between doing two Ironmans in the early to middle part of the year um, yep. with Kona being o- October. The reality is, if I was to qualify, I would I'd be um, certain that you can't be in that kind of ideal shape by October again. Mm. But having the opportunity to go there for a first time and and um, and get your foot in the door, so to speak, um, would be um, would be invaluable. So that's the plan. Um, but we all know the best laid plans are um, yeah. never as we intend. So. Um, but first things first um, is is yeah to to perform at Port Macquarie. So um, I'll just be yeah putting all my eggs in that basket um, on the weekend. Excellent. We look forward to seeing how that goes. A few random questions we ask uh, ask guests: yeah, Do you wax or shave your legs? Uh, clippers. Clippers. Oh goodness. Uh, facial moisturizer. Do you use it or not? Um, yes, I've got terrible skin. Yes. 
And uh, third one is if you were, if you were to train full on for a, a marathon, you may have done this in the past, but like give, say I'm right, I'm giving myself six months to train for marathon, you know, back home or not not necessarily in the the, the heat of Asia. What do you reckon you might be able to crank out for a fresh marathon? Uh, sub two for sure. Sub two, um, you first man in history. I'll Gosh. be running my, my first Ironman um, in Port Macquarie, uh, my first marathon in Port Macquarie. So. Um, I don't know. That's a good question, and that's definitely something I do want to um, attack when I, when my triathlon career is um, done and dusted. But um, yeah, it's a hard one, mate. Something like sub two thirty would be, um, I guess, in the realm of possibility. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What did uh, I think Tyler Tyler Butterfield? I think he did two. I think it was two twenty seven at the Commonwealth Games, and that was. Uh, that was that was a reasonably warm day, so yeah, I think most guys seem to be in that range somewhere. Uh, the optimistic ones, some some think around two twenty and the um, uh-huh. around that two twenty to two thirty range. Mm, yeah, good luck. Yeah, the fastest Aussie, Aussie guys are somewhere down there, but I'll check in in a few years and let you know how that goes. Excellent. So if um, if guy anybody wants to follow you out there or anything you want to promote, you know what what are the what are the means of people that want to follow your career? Um, the, the, the best ways would be, um, obviously the social media channels, um, probably the Instagram is the, the best, um, and most uh, efficient one to do with some pictures and some updates. Um, I'm on there at, uh, at Mitch Robbins 21 and Robbins is R O B I N S. Um, I'll have someone, uh, you know, uploading some, some updates next week on the course. Good. Um, and uh, yeah, um, thanks for following along. It's it's um, it's a, a pleasure to to have a chat with you today. And, and these these sort of things are really invaluable for us as as athletes to um, to you know promote ourselves. And and I have a couple of local sponsors um, supporting for the for the Ironman, and and they're really the ones that make it possible. Give, give them a plug. Give them a plug. Um, uh, just confirming. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll mention it next week. Once we see your result, send, send us through the details and we'll give them a plug. Yeah, but bigger than that, it's it's local support, which is um, really special. So um, they, they make the wheels go around. Re- the reality is our sports are not a big money maker. So um, we're just really grateful to be, to have, um, to have these people in, in my corners, financial support or, or um, you know, just people who are, who are in your corner. Um, it mean, means a whole lot. So um, thanks a lot. No worries. No, we love having guys like you on and giving the guys that don't always get a lot of media some coverage. So uh, thanks very much for your time today and good luck for the race. Good on you, John. Thanks a lot. And um, thanks to anyone who, who tune in and listen. You're telling me before the show, John did the interview, obviously, but you're telling me before the show, Harry stood on that. It must suck for an athlete when you have something like that happen. Yeah, so yeah, he had a, you know, as you guys have just heard, you know, a career-threatening injury, um, thanks to a race, and well, the cool thing was, it gave him some time to reflect, think about what he wanted to do, and decided, I don't want to stick with this triathlon side of things, and see what I can make of it, and sort of freshen himself up, and got out there, and doing extremely well and we'll see how he goes over an iron distance race you know he could be one of those guys that really flourishes he's you know he'll have some pretty decent sort of speed from short course racing and uh yeah be interesting to see how he goes and again 
Tanya Pura. It's the place to be. I'm still looking at the reviews, John. Listen to this one. Here we go. Here we go. People love this place. Amazing facility made of the ultimate for holiday to relax, get in shape, and eat healthy. The staff is phenomenal and always willing to assist and help. Always a great trip to Tanya Pura and never regret the investment to visit this amazing health and sports resort. Please try the meditation classes offered by Puri. Puri. Now, the exciting thing is, I'm trying to get a camp sorted there for next year. Oh, back it up, John. 2019 Tanya Pura. Asian Experience Camp. Is that what you call it, is it? <laughs> yeah, they haven't got the official name <laughs> The Asian yet. Invasion. So here's the deal, what's going to happen. And and I don't have pricing or anything on it at this stage, but I should do hopefully in the next couple of weeks, is we're going to go to Tanyapura for sort of five to six days, get that whole experience there, get the Thailand experience around Phuket. So it'll be some, it'll, it's kind of going to be a bit modelled on my um, Epic Camp Light Kona yep. camps. So you kick off and you do a few big big days, really get to see the area and do some big mileage, get used to the heat. Uh, so it's going to be really good acclimatisation. And then I've got a race lined up that I'm still sort of uh, trying to work on that will then go somewhere else and do a half Ironman race somewhere else in Asia. So you fly into Phuket, do you know five, six, seven days, whatever. If you want to go a bit early, you can go and do a bit of exploring beforehand. Worth doing. It's a great place. Oh, yeah. And then fly over to another venue in Asia that's pretty close by and we'll do a seven, you know, a half Ironman race over there. Timing-wise, it's going to be in September. So if you're a, a Kona athlete next year, it's going to be awesome acclimatization and really good timing to do a race sort of a handful of weeks before uh, Ironman. So you probably wouldn't want to go full bore in the race, but great chance to do some good mileage in a group. Uh, it's going to be open for sort of middle of the pack uppers uh, up. You know, it's, if you're a 17-hour athlete, probably not going to be suitable, but anybody sort of under... I don't know, 13-ish hours, 13 uh, would, would be would be fine, but we will be doing some pretty decent decent mileage. And uh, so if you're keen, just, just pop pop me an email through my Epic Camp site or coaching site or anything like that, and I'll just put you on the list. Haven't got any pricing yet, but I'm picking, given it's in Asia, it shouldn't be crazy expensive, and it will be an awesome experience, and you get to experience And the good thing is, it, like, like, like when we went to Thailand, you have lots of German you have tourists, so like it's a good mm. central spot that lots of people can get to. Mm. So, um, you know, we've got a very global audience, so if you're listening, anywhere in the world it's a, it's a cool spot man like it's I haven't been to Tanjapura but I've been to you know that part of the world and it's pretty special so um, email John you go email to our website me. you can go to www.imtalk.me uh, and just go into our contact us page and uh, email us and we'll get in contact with you about it Bevan we're going to start skipping a few things okay, here well, we're not going to do age group of the week it. I'm going to quickly we've got to do wanger of the week just because uh, okay wanger of the week wanger of the week and last week we're going to go who did the most uh, swim time was Joe Skippy trying to improve that swim he's got a little bit of run injury he did 6 hours and 2 minutes swimming beating out Seth Bitting and Brent Johnson. Go Joe Johnson. Skipper. Sorry? Go Joe Skipper. Go Joe Skipper. Improve that swim. Yeah. Well, it was interesting when we were in Copenhagen Co- Co- wrote and he wanted to talk to you about your swimming. Yes. Yeah. We were at dinner. Yeah. He was Joe's keen. one of the nicest guys in the sport. Pretty keen to improve oh, swimming. I love Joe Skipper. Joe, you're, you're like, I, I'm not Man sure love. Oh, he's one of the nicest guys, the most genuine down to earth guys. And Joe Skipper is one of these guys who just makes you smile. Yeah. Hey, you know, you just you talk to him and just, he makes you smile. So, Joe Skipper, you're a rock star. And well done for obviously doing well in road and races like that. It's pretty cool. But let's be honest. Getting winger of the week. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that goes up there in the triathlon achievements. Questions and answers. answers. What do you want to do here? Do you want to do these? Do one of these. Which one do you want to do? 
You choose. We're either going waxing or we're, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go wax. We'll go wax. Okay, so Nate Fellas has sent through an email saying, I was wondering if you, I can't remember which one of you waxes, it's definitely not me, because <laughs> I've got no hair and John's the bloody beer, so let's figure that one out. Uh, could shed some light on waxing. I have been interested in this option for some time, but I would like to have some first hand details, pros and cons, first time advice, pre and post wax advice at home or professionally done, etc. I am a hero guy with thick black hair and realistically need to be shaving two or three times a week to keep up appearances but mostly to be comfortable all any details are welcome well bugger that yeah. I, sh- I shave I use clippers John so that there was me clippering yesterday oh God. And, and yeah and, and I'll do so I'll clipper once like a week a five o'clock shadow yeah I'll clipper once a week and I'll do that I'll shave that twice a week oh, a little mowy bit you don't know the challenges no. that Nathan and I've got like five got. nipple hairs on my chest yeah, yeah. I definitely I'd, if I if I was going to the office, I'd definitely need to be shaving every day. How often do you shave? Uh, every few days. With legs, yeah. Right, now, this is a... It's kind of funny. If someone just tuned into this podcast and you have this guy talking about waxing and how and, and the pros and cons and tips of right. it, they'd be going, what are you guys this on? This is a beauty podcast. But beauty by John. We're going there. <laughs> so, Nate, I share your pain. Yep. It is... Uh, it is a challenge being a hairy person at times. Oh, poor, poor, poor hairy people. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, definitely think you should invest in the waxing side of things. The pros, time-wise, you're in and out of there pretty quickly. Uh, Wait a second, so you're saying go see someone? Go see someone, yep. definitely go and see someone. The cost, when you factor in your time, is infinitely cheaper. So, I don't know what, I, I think I pay... 50 bucks or something like that to get my waxing done. How often do you get your waxing done? Um, if I was getting it regularly, probably every, I don't know, six weeks or something like that. Mm. Uh, oh, does it hurt? We'll get to that. Okay. That's a con. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you factor in how much time it actually takes versus shaving, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's going to be so much better for you and it'll last sort of five to six weeks. So those are the main pro, pros there. The cons, you've got to get over that initial embarrassment of actually Can going you, to... Do you have to get your winger out? No, you don't have to get your wanger out, but that's one of my tips. Get your wanger out. <laughs> you might get a discount, or you might get charged a lot more, or you might get arrested. Yep, um, exactly. The cons is firstly getting over the embarrassment factor. I'm, I used to go to a beauty salon, but I'm, unfortunately now we've got a place uh, in Christchurch called Manscaped, so they specialise oh, in man okay. stuff. Okay. So me getting my legs done is probably far... Where do they stop, John? Well, this is this, is, this, is, this is come up in the tips. Okay, so uh, but there are... You know, the advertised services are a lot more extensive than just the leg waxing. You get the other areas <laughs> done. So getting my legs done, that, that's just straightforward for them. Back sack and quack, crack, it's another level. So you've got the embarrassment factor. Um, the other thing is you do have to factor in for the con side of things is you have to wait. If you're doing waxing, you've got to wait for a bit of regrowth. So, you know, before you can actually oh, go back okay. in again, you can't just get it done when it's stubbly. Uh, and the other con is it is... Um, it's somewhat painful. Different parts are a bit more. Girls probably think we're softies, but once you've been a few times, you don't. It's not too bad. But up around the the inner thigh, it's got a little bit of pain there. So tips for you, um, Nate, is I would strongly advise against trying to do this at home. Doing waxing yourself, I think, would be just especially like my wife does her own. Yeah, and because uh, she's a tight ass, which I love about her. Um, but you know, she's just doing women's bits. But you know, yeah. doing your legs. Yeah. It's a, it's a big area to do. Yeah. It'd take a lot of time. 
and he probably wouldn't do that good a job of it. Sure, Joe's pretty happy that I'm talking about who wins the bits <laughs> yeah. on the show. <laughs> so tips, if you're a super hairy guy, Nate, is do the clipper treatment. If you, if you turn up to somebody to get your legs waxed and they're like, you know, your hairs are two or three centimetres long, they are not going to be happy about it um, and it's going to be more of a painful experience for you. So my advice would be go and get your hair, leg hairs clippered first. Just use get like one of those cheap things you get from the supermarket yep. which have got a little clipper on the end take them right back and then let it grow out to say half a centimetre and then go and get it waxed and it'll be less painful for you and it won't be, the, the, the beautician won't be as pissed off at you as well. Um, now you're asking how high you go. I go in wearing the Speedos. Oh, do you, yeah. do you take your goggles as well? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> there's two reasons for that. Is uh, if you're going to wear a speedos when you're, you're you're training, you need to make sure you keep it tidy. You don't want to have any random things. <laughs> well, you don't want the airline to be like your shorts. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So if you think, oh, I'll just go up to a short line and then you go and wear speedos, that is not a good look. But the other thing is, you need to keep things pretty tight down there when you're getting waxing. <laughs> I'm sure you do. A bit like getting the massage. Don't want to get excited. Don't want to get excited. And the Speedos give you that little bit extra protection if you get a nice pair of tight ones on there. So that would be the advice. The other questions you had there. The other question is, why do it? Why not just have hairy legs? I'll tell you. One reason for that is massage. Oh, yeah, true. Massively hurts when you get massage when you've got really hairy legs. Now, I let my hairy legs go. He lets them go loose. They went free range (laughs) up until about two weeks ago. Yep. And then I got the old clippers out and clipped them down, and I'd been running poorly. I'd been running abysmally. No joke. Did it on Sunday. And since then, my running has gone massively upward trajectory. It just feels feel lighter. And this is no joke. You feel so much better. So it's, I'm thinking it could be a good tactic going into racing in the future is let those hair It's go resistance really training. Resistance. But just the feeling was dramatic. Dramatic, I'll say. Dramatic. So there you go. What, else, what other questions did you have there, Nate? Uh, you had pros, comes first time as advice. Yeah, it's going to be a bit painful. Pre and post wax advice. Get some um, the tea tree tea tree oil. You put that you on. You want to exfoliate as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, exfoliate a bit. Uh, I'm lucky I don't get sort of ingrowns and things like that. But you need to keep a keep a lookout for that. Uh, exfoliate tea tree oil. Um, you ask and get it professionally done, definitely, and don't do it at home. There you go. Or you get your wife to do it if you've got a partner. Oh, you couldn't. That would just be horrible. I think Belinda would love to do it to uh, you. Because there's a certain technique. There's different waxes. That's right. She's got to learn the technique painfully. The technique that works really well is when they wax it and then they put their hand on it really quickly. Oh. And because the waxing, you get this mass, this quick sort of pain in the area. They put their hand on it quickly and that seems to take away the pain. Oh, there learning, you go. Waxing 101. Here. There we go. John Newsom. Mark Scudamore will come to your question next week. Yeah, we'll do it next week. Okay, John, patrons. Uh, Paul the Tiger... Munro. James the Wise One. James the Wise One Botel. He's been a legend of the show. Where's your, where's your contribution? He's having lots of kids. That's why. Uh, you know, once they have kids, you know. But James is still yeah. around here. We have a fucking email occasionally. Mm-hmm. And then Richard, don't mess with the scary beer, Waddington. Nice. These are patrons of the show. If you want to be a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me. And uh, yeah, we can just support the show and what we do. And you can maybe win a trip to Kona a couple of years. And there are some gifts for levels of patronage. So that's pretty cool. John sponsors. Extreme Endurance Galactic Buffer Tanya Pora Booking.com says it's a great place And come and join us on a camp uh, 2019 And email us at imtalk at pod, oh, I'm, I'm sorry imtalkpodcast at gmail.com Jombo You goss Went for a little bit of a tramp with the kids over the yeah, weekend it Didn't sound like a little bit It was a full on one Friday So we basically walked uh, 
two and a half days. Sort of went Belinda works Friday mornings, went out Friday afternoon, did a couple of hours there, and then stayed the night in the hut. Uh, beautiful evening, and just had it all to ourselves. Second day, forecast was a bit average. We're supposed to walk over this big, the highest mountain in our area, which is called Mount Herbert. It goes up about nine hundred and something, about nine hundred and thirty meters high, I think. It's pretty cool. Have you done it before? I have, yeah, many years ago. Joe and I did it. A couple of years ago, and you can't because you can see over this hill. Mm. So you see over this hill into the city. It's pretty cool. And but the weather forecast was abysmal, and we uh, got up, and it wasn't wasn't great. It wasn't horrific, but in the interest of safety, I said, kids, we're not going out there because it was potentially going to be a bit of whiteout conditions. We ended up walking around, so we had to walk all the way down to sort of nearly the bottom of the hill, and then walk back up the other side. So we kind of did a V instead of going over the top, which extended the day out. So the kids did great. We did about I think it was about six hours that wow. day. And then uh, Belinda decided she she um, she enjoyed her the, the comforts of home. She she walked out, and then the next day the kids. Wait, and where I, was the car? Oh, uh, she walked back to the car. Oh, okay. And then uh, so the kids and I stayed out another night, and then the next day the weather was even worse, and we had to basically walk. We it was it said six hours, uh, and we it's basically walking along a ridge line. So you probably at about mostly at about eight hundred meters elevation, and the weather was average. So it was not great visibility and when you're exposed it was pretty bloody cold but the kids cranked down and we uh we did it so it was great great one thing i will say bevan so we're out in the middle of nowhere hadn't seen anybody the first day hadn't seen anybody the second day second day we had to walk down this hill and we actually get had to get on this valley road and walk back up to get onto a different track to get back to where we wanted to be walking along nobody out there zero people out it's kaituna valley yeah yeah, Um, yeah 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 And we're going along, and, and a runner comes up behind us. And I went, no, oh, hey, he goes, oh, you John Newsom? Oh, really? Yeah. He goes, oh, I listened to your podcast. Oh, wow. So Carl, Carl from Kaituna Valley. Well, and I was actually running a couple of weeks bizarre. ago, and we had, we had a runner. Um, one of the runners turned up to our um, run, and he was from Sydney, and he was a listener as well. Yeah. There you go. And he was, I was talking away to him. He goes, yeah, I know. So I listened to the podcast. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm trying to remember his name I can't remember his name off the top Carl of my head now. Carl from Kaituna Valley so that was good times so challenging good character building stuff tell you what you get some good workers I was carrying a very heavy pack you know kids and kids carried their sleeping bags and maybe a little bit of clothes I had to carry everything else in terms of all the food and what have you and it was pretty heavy and it gives you a great workout my glutes and quads and stuff they were hurting by the end of that well you just drained as well aren't you mm. So that was great. Do you know I did this week? And you finished at a pub, which was even cooler. Yes, sorry, Bevan. No, no, you never goss? No. Do you know what I did this week? What? I uh, went for a swim. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. I was up in Auckland doing some work for Les Mills and went and saw the new Avengers. Mm-hmm. Is Thomas Keen on that? Uh, yeah, he'll be interested in that. Yep, yep. So I went and saw that. Made, it made something like $650 million the first weekend. That's the kind of business you want to own. It is. That's 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 a good business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so we saw that, did some work. It was good fun. And then the lady I work with, a lady called Lisa Osborne, who is a fitness legend. Like she in in the industry, but also as an athlete. Like she's an absolute rock star. She um she went along. She's doing. She does a lot of CrossFit games, and they have that. They do a bit of triathlon of CrossFit games. Right. I have a problem with CrossFit, John. <laughs> Here we go. I have a I have a real problem with CrossFit. I think CrossFit's a great thing. But I think the biggest problem of CrossFit games, so they have this, the games, and it's really, so the great thing that CrossFit's done is it's really made gym workouts competitive, mm-hmm. you know, and they've kind of found this formula of movement, which is kind of cool. Um, and I, it's a little bit high risk, so yeah. I don't worry about the injury factor, but, you know, generally people, it's getting people moving, people love it, which is great. Then they have these CrossFit games, and it's a 
big thing and oh, like yeah. Lisa got to the world finals for her age group so mm-hmm. and it's harder than like getting to Kona because only 20 people in the age group in the mm-hmm. world will make the finals so and I think to, in the qualification she got third in the world so she's a she's a star man mm-hmm. and in her age group she's an absolute animal when it comes to exercise but then you go to the CrossFit Games and they like to think that they're really cool because they're showing you the fittest person in the world so they do lots of these events that none of the none of the people are actually any good at mm-hmm. so they do like a triathlon mm-hmm. And they're just a bit shit. Mm. You know what I mean? And I, and I don't get it because sport is specificity, isn't it? You basically, exactly. sport is train really well at the thing you do. And to me, in the CrossFit Games, they basically get these people to train in their boxes. That's what they call CrossFit. They get them to train in their boxes all the time and then develop these skills. And they go to the games and this, the, the, the competitions they have at the games are nothing applicable to the skills they develop in their day-to-day training. That's stupid. Yeah, it really is. And like, and they say, well, because we're getting the fittest person in the world. And I was like, well... You're not doing yourself a service when you're doing triathlon because you like to a triathlete you just look like a schmuck. Yeah, you know, and um and so but for this reason Lisa has to swim because you know they do do swimming and so she said to me can you come for a swim with me and I was like, okay so we long I did about two k John Woo-hoo. tell you what do you know what I just forgot how fatiguing swimming is <laughs> you know what I mean like I didn't do a hard two k I had a set on the board so I did that yeah. and I did enjoy it it was quite nice to get back in the pool and feel the water again. But I was written off. I probably only swam 40 minutes, but I was written off for the rest of the day. Shapers, <laughs> creepers. It was, yeah. So do you think CrossFit would be bigger than Ironman? I would say yes. Mm. I think more people would participate. Like in Christchurch, think how many CrossFit gyms there are. Mm. You know, it's probably six. Yeah. You know, and they're probably getting, you know, at least 100 people a day. How many Ironman are in New Zealand in Christchurch? But I wonder how many people follow it as a sport, though. There's a difference between doing it. Oh, no, I think, you know, it's on ESPN and stuff now. Yeah. You know, like, well, like, oh, you, your social media is a reflection of your world, so it's hard to know. But I would say it's way bigger than Ironman, hmm. you know? And it, as a TV sport, it's more appealing to watch oh, than. But it would be. You know, although if you want to watch Bad Technique, watch yeah. CrossFit Games. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real legends are pretty good, but gee, some of the moves they do. Like I was watching her, and she went to the games, and, and that was the thing. Like she was third in the world, potentially the best, you know, top three. And the games got like eighteenth because they, you know, that was, right. you know, it was just not applicable for her. But um, but I was watching her. They're doing these, like they do single leg squats. With like a, a bloody what are they called? Um, kettlebell. Kettlebell. So it's single leg squats with a massive kettlebell, you know, and they're doing like you have to do fifty in a row. Yeah. You know, and when they do single leg squat, it's not you know it's not mid range, it's feet butt to the floor. Yeah. And you're thinking this can't be good for your knees long term. <laughs> but hey, you know, good on them. You know, like it, you know, we can point at Ironman and say you know many things we get wrong as well. So, um, but yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, your shoulders aren't so good in the crossfit. It's a long show today. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. Let me know. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.